Your 23 pairs of chromosomes, your DNA, have an incredible story to tell. It's a story about you and why you became who you are. 23andMe.com helps you understand what your DNA says about your health, traits, and ancestry, all from one small saliva sample you provide from home. You'll receive more than 60 detailed personalized reports about your DNA, plus tools to explore and compare your genetics with family and friends. Order your DNA kit from 23andMe.com today. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Ahí está el córner. Gol. Gabriel Paulista. Marca el primero para el Arsenal. El córner. Pisa con Mesut Ozil. This is Ascast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from uh, the sometimes uh, used Gunner blog. Hello. Hello, yeah, the erstwhile. Is that a word? Does it, that mean something? It does. It does mean something. But uh, I'm yeah. not sure it has any relevance in this context. Well, it's good to get it in, though. It, it, you know, it's one of the words that probably feels a bit underused, so... Yeah. Squeeze it in where we can. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. How's it all going? How was your Christmas? It was lovely, yeah. It was festive, despite the rain. Rain is the least Christmassy weather, I've decided. Ideally, you want a sort of crisp, crisp, cold, sunny morning, or you want snow... Rain is sort of falls somewhere in between, doesn't it? It's not quite what you're looking for. But yeah. that aside, it was all good. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, it rained here heavily on, on Christmas Day pretty much all day. So I agree sure. with you. It's like, oh, God, stay inside kind of weather. But it still makes it all a bit more a bit more miserable. But no, very, very nice and uh, ate well and drank well and, and all those things, you know. What, what did Santa bring? Uh, what did Santa bring? I got a pair of trainers. Hey, I got a pair of trainers. Yeah, Adidas. Nike I got. Oh, my God. Oh, it's it split the camp. <laughs> it's the butter and jam and toasting all over again, but in footwear. Uh, there yeah. we go. Well, there we go. I mean, at least, you know, mine have some sort of Arsenal connection. I should have Pumas, really, shouldn't I, Hey, these days? Well, you should. Do you remember the old, uh, the old ad, Robert Perez and, and Sylvain Wiltord with Mapumas? Mapumas. Mapumas. Yeah, I didn't get Mapumas this year. But. I have a pair of those. Red red leather Robert Perez Mapumas. Yeah. Do you do you wear them or are they sort of on in a display case? I, I used to wear them, but then I discovered that Puma, whatever way they make their footwear, the the sole is really narrow. And I found that with their football boots as well, that they have a very narrow sole. Mm. And it doesn't really suit my foot, so I need something a bit wider. And I find that Adidas, who are in no way sponsoring me to say this, but from whom I will gladly accept gifts if they're willing to do that. Uh, they, they, they suit my feet a lot better in terms of uh, trainers and also football boots. Okay, so if anyone from Adidas out there is listening, uh, as you remember from last week, it's one Dublin Road, Dublin. That's it. Get it in there. Um, so my Christmas was pretty good until Boxing Day. And yeah. then, of course, it all went awry, didn't it? Awry is a good word as well. That's a word yeah, that is getting them used. all in, guys. I got a dictionary for Christmas. <laughs> I got a thesaurus, so I'll just try and counter everything <laughs> you say with a different kind of word. But okay. yeah, yeah, it, it didn't go very well. I mean, I'd, I'd, we'd had Christmas dinner too. It was lovely. Um, mm. You know, came back home, lit the fire, sat in front of the fire with my laptop, TV on. Because 7.45 is a bit of a shit time for a game on, on uh, St. Stephen's Day, as we call yeah. it here. We don't call Indeed. it Boxing Day because... Because we're, we're, we're lovers, not fighters in Ireland. That's the I, thing. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know why it's called Boxing Day. I'm not sure anyone does. Uh, is it to do with boxing? Is it to do with putting things in boxes? I think it's to do with what the hell do I do with all these boxes that I got with my Christmas presents in. And they, it just, you know, there was a plethora of boxes. Uh, oh, come on, put the thesaurus down. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is, that's a stupid question. What to do with all the boxes? Obviously, build a fort. Yeah. Obviously. Clearly. If you have a super abundance of boxes, then then you need to do something with them. And I think that's probably what it was. It's, it's better than fort day. So boxing day works an awful lot better. And that's okay. uh, that's what happened. But yes, getting back to the football side of things, yeah, I was sitting there in front of the fire thinking, this is grand. Have a beer beside me. Got the laptop, doing the live blog. And then it was... Shit, shit. Mm. Really mm. bad. Really bad? As bad as it's been for quite some time. Is it, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because when things go well, people go, well, that's the way they should be. 
That's how it should be all the time yeah, yeah. when things go well. And when things go bad, it's like, well, this just encapsulates everything that's wrong with us. Every single possible thing that, that we complain about is manifested itself in that performance. So there's a touch of, you know, uh, going from one extreme, well, from no extreme, because when we're winning, there isn't really an extreme. It's just uh, serene, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, it well, it's obviously just, it should be that way. It's calm and nice and good. And I, I think we all enjoy that. I mean, there are people who, who, who think after every win that this is evidence of our, our, our greatness, our, our ascension into the pantheon of football teams. This is fucking good with the Thesaurus here. But, you know, uh, for the most part, people, I think, have a level-headed approach to it. But when we lose, it's like, fuck, Jesus Christ. And, you know, when we lose the way we did, yeah, I can understand it to a certain extent. And at Christmas, Andrew, of all times. How bad? They let let all the children down, James. We'd all been very naughty this year. Clearly. Yeah, that, that was our little sack of coal that we were handed in footballing form. That ball at Southampton, was packed full of coal. Mm. There were, we played badly, right? Absolutely. We did, we, well, we didn't play well. I'll, I'll come <laughs> with you on that. Yeah, we played really badly. I, I think it was our worst performance in maybe since the last time we were there. I agree. I agree, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe we, we should just never to, go there again. I mean, you know, maybe it's cursed. I don't believe in curses, but maybe we should just not turn up next year and go, look, have the three points, we'll have a rest. We'll take it easy. We'll relax our legs and get ready for the next game. You know, I think. Well, apparently, I think if you don't turn up to a game, I think you get a three-nil automatic defeat. So we'd actually get a superior result that way. Yeah, <laughs> and without any of the stress and hassle of having to endure a performance like that. So yeah, I, there's a suggestion for next. What do you year. make of the the margin of the defeat? Like, do you think that means something? I was interested to see a stat floating around that only two sides have ever lost by four-goal margin in a single season and then gone on to win the league. Well, Do you think it sort of tells you something about us that it went that badly? I don't know. I mean, look, I think that's... I don't know about that stat. It's like one of those stats you get that where where they say, well, when one player is on the pitch, a team hasn't conceded a goal for seven years. Hang on, are you casting aspersions over Matthew Flamini's unbeaten record at the Emirates Stadium? Perhaps perhaps I am, yeah. Right, um, okay. You know, I'm just saying, yeah, It's I, I don't think it's relevant, you know, it's it's a thing and it's a fact, but I don't think it has any bearing on what might happen this season. I think as well we were a touch unlucky uh, as badly as we played. I thought the second goal was was a very obvious foul on, on Lauren Cuscielli. Actually, in fairness, that's wrong. It wasn't an obvious foul, it was quite a smart, clever foul on mm. Lauren Koscielny. And without that foul, I don't think Shane Long would have scored. I mean, the whole Shane Long thing was kind of unfortunate because had he been fit, you'd think Graziano Pelle would have been playing. Um, and actually, they had to play Shane Long and it gave us loads of problems because with him and Mane and their pace on the break, you know, it really hurt us. They were yeah. really exposed against them several times. He's a, he's a really irritating player, Shane Long. I mean, I, yeah. I, in a way, I kind of admire it and I admire to a certain extent, the foul on Koscielny because, you know, why the hell not? I think Koscielny, he'd had a couple of run-ins with Koscielny before and he ended up with a bit of a cut on his head because Koscielny had come through the back of him, you know, as, as a centre-half should do. And Long went, well, fuck it, I'll give it a try. And if I get called for a foul, I get called for a foul. But if I don't, look at what could happen. So in a way, you kind of have to admire that. His, his plucky entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, but I mean, I think the first three goals, Arsene Wenger was quite keen to point out after the game, there were debatable decisions, weren't there, at least? Uh, I, I, I didn't really see what was debatable about the first one, to I think, be was honest. That, was it potential offside, or did you not Who? think it was? Um, oh, I forget now, to be honest. And when? The game when the cross came in? Yeah, I think when the cross came in, the first cross mm. before the clearance. I mean, what, what you would say is, well, when it's cleared, is that another phase of play? And do you have to react to that accordingly? You know, I think you said on your blog that you were a bit disappointed about how easily the cross was allowed into the box. Yeah, yeah, I thought we could have done more there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the thing is, despite all these little gripes with the officiating, I don't think you'll find an Arsenal fan who would argue that we deserved anything from that game. No. No, uh, it, it was poor. It was like opening your Christmas stocking and finding your your dog's foot in it. Yeah. It was bad. Your own dog's foot? Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh God. So the dog is still going around on Christmas morning, but just with one less foot. As well. No, the dog has been kidnapped. You don't know what's happened to the dog, and and right. all of a sudden, you know, they're going to send you like a, another paw in the post, and and if you don't ransom. pay the ransom, and uh, the tail's coming tomorrow or something like that. You know, that's how bad it was. Christ. Yeah. Not. Good. Um, that is bad. But uh, what was I going to say? Yes, we were rubbish, but why? Uh, that's a really good question. I think if you could figure out exactly why, you would be able to write a book on that, sell it to all football managers, and make a bazillion million pounds. Because ah, you've, I think, you've seen my business plan for yeah. 2016, I see. <laughs> I think, you know, it's um, as frustrating and as annoying as it is. I don't want to say things like that can just happen, but sometimes a game goes against you or goes away from you or you get into a position in a game where it just becomes impossible to get anything from it and I think you have to look at the the depth of the squad or the lack of depth in the squad you know at 2-0 down okay it's difficult but you you know we didn't have anything on the bench really that we could bring on uh, to to change the game around Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain came on and was in some ways culpable for the third goal um, you know so that that that's an issue I think for me is that we just did not have anybody to bring on who could change the dynamic of the game and maybe inject some life into our performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, do you think it was the wrong decision on reflection to play the same eleven that faced Manchester City? No, because we talked about this before, didn't we? We thought that what he would do was play that strongest eleven mm-hmm. um, against Southampton away and then change things around a bit for Bournemouth at home, which he kind of did. Um, so I don't know that you can really... <sighs> I don't think there's any criticism to be made of the team selection. You know, it had just beaten Manchester City, played well that night, and that team that did so well lurched from, I won't say the sublime, but certainly to the ridiculous in terms of performance level. And I don't know that there's any real understanding of why that would be, you know, beyond genuine human frailty and, and just the vagaries of sport. The vagaries of sport, eh? Foiling us again at every turn. Mm. Well, I mean, Fucking yeah, vagaries. I, the bloody vagaries. It was poor. It was really disappointing. It was a really bad result. And I think it, that was compounded by the fact that, you know, Leicester had lost that day, hadn't they, at Liverpool? Yeah. There was a chance to go top of the Premier League. And there have been a few of those in the last sort of six weeks or so that we haven't been able to take. Um, but fortunately... Another one rolled around very, very quickly indeed. Yeah, well, this is it. You know, I mean, it felt, um, some of the post-match reaction felt like we we might never have the chance to go top of the league again, Mm. when in reality, if we beat Bournemouth, we would go top of the table, you know? BT Sport didn't have that game. So, you know, they were keen to emphasise that this was our one shot. (laughs) They really were, weren't they? It was bizarre. uh, The third goal, just in particular... Uh, they were talking about zonal marking and, and Glenn Hoddle was saying, oh, zonal marking, you know, this is the the, the thing, you know, you, why aren't the centre half to... And then they had another corner immediately afterwards and Glenn Hoddle was shocked, like shocked, that we were continuing with a zonal marking system instead of changing our entire defensive uh, plan in the middle of a game. I mean... It's extraordinary. They've just conceded a goal and yet... They're keeping Petr Cech between the sticks. They haven't swapped him with one of the outfield players to try and address the situation. Uh, yeah, bizarre. really odd. Robbie Savage completely bemused by what zonal marking even was, I think. Yes, he uh, had no clue whatsoever, did he? He just couldn't understand why certain players hadn't made certain movements or certain runs. I mean, look, it wasn't well defended, particularly. Um, I thought... I mean, it was one of those where you wondered if the keeper maybe could have come and got it, but it was quite congested. Mm. But it was also a good delivery and a good header, so... To an extent, you've got to sort of say, fair dues. Mm. Anyway, fuck that game. Fuck it. Yeah, it's gone now. Fuck it, fuck it. And it's gone, and we did Put it in the boxes, all the boxes that are lying around for boxing day. Yeah, I mean, every fort has to have a dungeon, so we put it in the the dungeon, in the fort, right? Lovely, lovely idea. And we'll never visit it again. Or we'll put a smaller box with something slightly less worse in there next time that happens. Okay, All right. good plan. So, Bournemouth... Bournemouth, yes. 48 hours later, less bounce back. Less than 48 hours. Less than 48. 40, what, 46? Yes, yes. Extraordinary. Yeah, it really was. Uh, Yes, much better. I mean, not a great start to the game from us, you know, but then a a lot of the times these games are quite 
stodgy, aren't they? Because players are tired, teams are a bit unfamiliar, there's a lot of rotation, there's not necessarily that slickness in performances. Mm. But, I mean, how long are we going to go without talking about the one man who, who really made it all click? And that, of course, was Mesut Ozil. Oh, was it? I thought you were going to say someone else, sir. Well, I did think that when Joel Campbell came on, he was pretty instrumental. <laughs> he was he was amazing, wasn't he? Just absolutely outstanding, creatively, uh, his overall contribution to the performance, how hard he worked defensively, just uh, just an amazing performance. Some of the chances that he created for us were were brilliant. And with better finishing, we would have won that game handsomely. Yeah, indeed. We're all, we're looking at you, Theo Walcott. Mm. But uh, it's set-piece delivery as well. I think was some of the best I've ever seen from an Arsenal player. I don't know if he just had his eye in particularly on this day, but every time we got a corner, I think we were helped in part by the fact that Bournemouth was slightly hapless in their defending of those set-pieces, but he seemed to pick out Gabriel Mertesacker at will, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, was there a light bulb moment on the Arsenal training ground at some point over the last you know 18 months where they went, hey... You know what? If we take a corner and instead of hitting it directly onto the head of the first man at the near mm. post, what if we like put it into a more dangerous area? And lo and behold, you know, we, we score more regularly from corners and set pieces than we used to. It's a, it's a phenomenal success rate. Oh, my doorbell's just gone. Do you want to go see who that is? I, I better. I better. One okay. second. Hello, you're back. I'm back. I'm back. Anyone interesting? It's. Do you know? It's my cleaner. Um, you're what? I know. It's not my idea. I must stress. I'm actually quite sort of awkward about the whole thing. Quite uncomfortable with it. But my landlord has a cleaner who comes usually later than this. Right. So this has caught me off guard. Okay. Who knows? Is she going to feature in the podcast? It'd be nice to get Jivkaran. She's lovely. Yeah. But. We'll see. I mean, I don't know what her views on the Bournemouth game will be. I don't know, but I mean, you could maybe ask her not to hoover for the next uh, 40 minutes or so. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that could be good. Let's see what happens. I probably should have mentioned that. Um, let's see how that goes. Okay. So what was I talking about? Mesut Ozil. Yeah, good. He's good at football. Yes, he is. Yes, I'm beginning to think so. I mean, the jury are deliberating still, as we know, thanks to David Moyes. But <laughs> I feel like, you know, their decision may be announced sooner rather than later that he might be good at football. Yeah. Imagine the dismay that David Moyes must feel, uh, you I know, mean, when, when the jury comes back with his decision. Have you reached a verdict? Yes, Your Honour. And he's good at football. No! <laughs> I, I bought Fellaini! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that is an unfortunate, unfortunate uh, thing to have done. But um, it was quite an extraordinary performance. And I thought, you know, we, did, we didn't play that well, but it sort of didn't matter at times because he was just able to do things, you know, almost single-handedly. Yeah, uh, great header for, from Gabriel for the first goal. And I thought he played very well overall. Uh, not just, I mean, he was a threat in the in the opposition box. There was that moment where he, he headed off the post and it rebounded onto Mertesacker's forehead and just wide, which was, oh, which was yeah. I felt sorry for him, but it was also really quite funny because the look on his face when it went wide was something else. It was one of those he couldn't have done too much about, really. It came out in pretty quickly. But uh, nevertheless, mm. it'll look great on a bloopers video. Uh, Gabriel, I think we've talked in the past about him being an aerial threat at set pieces. He really yeah. does attack the ball very well. Um, but I thought he was excellent at both ends of the pitch. There was that one chance, I think at the start of the second half, where Josh King kind of... He looked like he might have been offside from where I was sat, but he got away from the back four. Uh, and it looked very, very dangerous. But Gabriel recovered brilliantly with a sliding tackle uh, to sort of intercept the ball. And I thought... Yeah, he was very, very solid. Yeah, yeah, had a really good game. And he has been sort of on the fringes a bit since the Chelsea game, since the sending mm. off. He hasn't really been uh, in the team that much. And then, of course, he played. Where did he play and make a mistake? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. was... I can't remember either. Maybe Bayern? Oh, 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 Bayern away. Yeah, yeah. He stepped up at the wrong time or something like that and Lewandowski scored the header. Yeah. I think that was the one. Yeah, he had um, a couple of difficult moments, but that was a really, really solid performance from him yesterday and uh, a very encouraging one uh, too. So yeah, then, 
Go on. So, so, so what, what else can we talk about? We could talk game? about that second goal because that was really very tasty. It was delicious, wasn't it? It was mm. the most delicious goal. It was like a, it was a Christmas dinner of a goal. Mm. Mm. It, was it was a, a Christmas ham day. of a goal. Yeah, a Boxing Day dinner where you get all the meat again cold and it's it's even more tasty. Bit of bubble and squeak, all that jazz. <laughs> yeah, love that. Um, it was an incredible goal, and I think obviously we'll talk about Özil, but I do think Olivier Giroud deserves credit for the latest in a, a line of sumptuous flicks. Yeah, he d- he tries them often and, you know, maybe it'd be fair to say that more often than not they don't come off, but when they do, I mean, the weight of that ball through to, to Ozil, uh, who, who continued his run, was just absolutely perfect and I think there's a, a salutary lesson there. Yes. Um, but, but his first touch just absolutely perfect. Just killed the mm. ball and then he rolled it between the goalkeeper's legs. Um, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant goal. He passed it into the net. He assisted it into the net. Yeah, uh, he really did. No, Actually, I mean, do you know what I have? I have what? I have some of the Spanish commentary oh, go on, on the goal. Because, uh, you know, people who listen regularly to the show will know that, we, that we've got the... Um, oh, 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 here we go. Hang on. Okay, we're in the build-up here. Okay, this is Ramsey. Yes, really good. Que golazo. Que golazo, indeed. Yes, marvellous. Yes, I mean, it was, it was indeed un golazo. And uh, did you like that on there? That was one for the Thorlers of this world. Yes, yes. Um, You spent time in Spain, I sense. Well, I've done a GCSE, so (laughs) don't worry about it, guys. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, it was a brilliant goal. And you know, he took it very, very well, very composed for a guy who's obviously not regarded as principally a goal scorer. Mm. Uh, but he should have, I mean, he, he should have broken Thierry Henry's Premier League assist record for a single season in the course of that game, shouldn't he? I think it was nine chances created, something crazy like that. Yeah, and when you look at where those chances were and the quality of the ball to uh, the balls to the to the players in those positions, um, they, they were absolutely brilliant. I think they were pretty much, yeah, every single one of them inside the Bournemouth area and you know I think I think Walcott in particular should have scored at least two yeah at least I think think Walcott had actually a decent all-round performance it's interesting since he's been redeployed on the flanks I think he's redoubled his defensive efforts a bit I don't know if that's a a bit of instruction or just I don't know his attitude maybe he's improved but he was back helping out the fullback in areas uh, against Bournemouth where you would never have caught him, I think, 12 months or so ago. So mm. that's encouraging, definitely. But his finishing wasn't quite there. Wasn't quite just, there, no. Just on Ozil, something I think that's really extraordinary about him. I mean, he's obviously, you know, the form player in the Premier League, probably the best player in the Premier League at present. But, mm. you know, the, the aesthetics of his game are often commented on. But he, he is a phenomenal athlete as well. He In December, I think he played 90 minutes in all but one game in which he played 85. This guy invariably plays the entire match. He's not someone who comes off after 20 minutes. Arsene leaves him on because of that technical stability that he craves. And I just think he's still running come stoppage time. He's still going. He's, he's, it's perpetual movement. He's always looking for mm. space, always offering an option to somebody. Uh, and I do think that that element of his game is sometimes overlooked understandably amidst all the technically brilliant things that he does but he deserves huge credit for that no I think so and I think what it is as well is that um, I think it's it's perhaps his style in that he's quite a he, he tends to sort of what's the word I'm looking for here to kind of float over the ground he's not like a, an obvious sprinter you know the way when Carl Jenkinson sprints it looks like a yeah. player from FIFA you've got the R2 button held down and Jenkinson is like arms are going ding, 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 whereas Ozil kind of glides across the pitch and he's yeah. a very languid style and I think people mistake that for lack of effort or lack of interest in some way but I absolutely agree with you I think the amount of running that he does uh, off the ball 
looking for space, looking to keep the team moving. Uh, he works hard. Like last night, he attempted six tackles, which I think was as high as anybody else in the Arsenal uh, team. Uh, he only won two of them, but the fact that he was there doing that um, speaks volumes about the contribution that, that he makes to this side. I, you know, he's just a, a fantastic player. There's no question about that, but a fantastic player in certainly the best form that he's been in since he uh, since he joined the club. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And as you know, we've said it in the past, but without Alexis Sanchez, without Santi Cazorla, the onus, the responsibility on him is enormous and he's absolutely delivering. I think Mm. he's now created 79 chances in total this season. The the Arsenal player with the next closest amount is Cazorla with 36. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I know Cazorla's been injured, but, you know, Aaron Ramsey, 22. Benzo Ozil, 79. That is just a phenomenal number. Yeah, it really is. And I think we're just going back to what you said about him being taken off and the technical stability that he gives you. When he did take him off against Manchester City because he'd been ill, I think mm. we missed him in those final 10 minutes. And, and I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but that's when City scored uh, and made it a bit, um, a bit more uh, tense and nervous for the final few minutes. Yeah, because, you know, Arsene spoke about Ozil after the, after the game at some length. Almost the entire post-match press conference was dedicated to his performance. Yeah. And uh, he was saying how the genius of Ozil is that when you watch from the stands, at the moment you think, oh, the pass should be played there, that's when Ozil plays it, if not just before. His decision-making is so good. And in that last 10 minutes against City, Arsenal needed someone with that kind of cool, collected, intelligent head to help them keep possession. And without him, they didn't have it. Mm. Um, Nonetheless... What else can we say? Because Arsene's press conference was so dominated by Ozil that there were a couple of things he didn't touch on. One thing I I was going to talk about was uh, Callum Chambers, who I thought acquitted himself rather well in central midfield. I agree. I think, you know, clearly there's... We haven't seen enough of him in that position to make any kind of real judgment on him as a midfield player. But I think it's interesting that uh, you know, stories have emerged over the f- uh, last couple of weeks about how they've been working in training with him um, to to sort of ready him for a midfield role. Um, and I guess that's, you know, a lot of uh, trying to receive the, b- the ball with your back to, to play and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I, th- I thought it was really tidy on the ball. He spread it wide well a couple of times. He's got quicker feet than people give him credit for also. Yeah. Um, you know, he he did well in there. I think we need to see more of him, but I think that was an encouraging performance from a player who who kind of needed it. You know, his career, had, I won't say it had hit a, a, a wall, but he'd sort of had a good start and then plateaued and then... It was difficult to see where exactly he fit into the team. He was in the uh, in the squad as like fourth choice centre half. Injuries have played a part, so obviously he's been deployed in midfield. I thought he did. I thought he did really well. Yeah. Oh, one second. One second. Hello. Uh, yeah. One sec. Hey there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, mate. Well, there you go. She's on the podcast now. Yeah, she's made it. I'm gonna have to. It. I'm gonna have to leave that in. Um, of course. Nice to get Jeff Caron, as I say. Um, what was I talking about? Callum Chambers. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit of a dirty word, but he reminded me a little bit of Michael Carrick in there. You know, someone who's not particularly quick, but who distributes the ball well. He's got a bit of height, a bit of elegance, but crucially, he doesn't have all those Manchester United and Spurs ties. So, yeah. um, you know, a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I thought, he did, I thought he did well, and I thought it was encouraging. I wouldn't hail him as the solution, but if you think about it, I think he's probably better on the ball than Flamini. I think he's probably a better pass than Flamini. He's taller than Flamini. So, you know, there's definitely something to, to work with there, potentially. Moving forward, yeah, certainly, you know, to have another option, yeah, uh, is is a good thing given the way that the uh, the midfield is stacking up right at this moment in time. And uh, you know, there was some talk about Ramsey before the game in conversation with the club doctor. Um, so whether or not he's carrying a knocker, I don't quite know. But you know, we're in a position at this moment in time where uh, central midfielders are a very precious commodity, which leads me to the stories that have been doing the rounds about FC Basel's uh, Mohamed El Neni. Is that how you pronounce it? I assume so. Certainly Mohamed, that's familiar enough. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we know that. Could, could it be El Neni? El Neni? I think it's El... In my head, it's El Neni. And if it's in my head like that, why would it possibly be wrong? Correct. Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I know next to nothing about this guy. Uh, and I suspect that anyone who says otherwise is either 
Swiss, Egyptian, or a fibber? That's three three distinct possibilities there, absolutely. Three yeah. groups of people I have no time for. <laughs> What's right? Um, Come on. No, the Swiss, the Egyptians, and the Fibbers. Oh, they're, they're the bane of my life. Well, well done. You've just isolated a huge portion of our, our listenership there. I, for I one, uh, love the Egyptians and the Swiss, but Fibbers, I'm with you. Uh, playing to the crowd, as usual. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's an intriguing one. I think the most encouraging thing about it is how quickly the deal appears to be done. We've talked... You know, for years now about needing players in January and then come deadline day, we're still sat there waiting to see if we can snatch a bargain. Uh, if we do go out and sign someone in the first few days of the window, I think that represents real progress and shows re- really good, positive, decisive action on, on the part of the club. Yeah, we're snatching a bargain early. <laughs> I know. Imagine well, what, it. what do you make of, I mean, people will... Uh, as ever, there'll be people on both sides of this uh, signing if and when it goes through. Some will say, well, look, this is a, a young guy who's ready to take a step forward in his career, 23 yeah. years of age, been playing well for FC Basel, and FC Basel have been really good over the last 12 to 18 months, maybe a bit longer. Um, so he's playing he's playing well for a decent team. Uh, there are others who will say that a club like Arsenal, with the resources available to them, should probably be looking at somebody more established, be uh, ready to spend a bit more money. Where do you sit on that, uh, on that particular issue? I mean, I think expedience will have been a factor. I think the fact that this is a deal that Arsenal felt they could do and could do quickly, um, I don't think... Sorry, Andrew, my phone's going. I'm going to have to go and see what it is. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Honestly, it's non-stop here. It's like Clapham Junction. Oh, it really is, but it's in Islington. Mm. Um, I was talking about El Nenny, wasn't I? You were, and we were I talking was... about the the you know his his signing as uh, you know whether it's a, a show of ambition or you know could we be doing more and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and I said I think it might be a question of expedience about being able to yeah. do it quickly, and also Arsene doesn't like to. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't. I don't think he wants to bring in a player who is a kind of twenty, thirty million pound player alongside Cochrane. I think he's. I think he's made his decision that Cochrane's his man. I think that's why mm. someone like Morgan Schneiderlin wasn't brought in in the summer. And I think he probably sees El Nenny as a, a versatile midfielder. From the little we're hearing about him, he looks like someone who could play maybe a variety of roles in there. He's not purely a holding player, uh, and just. I mean, it feels like it. One, it's a bit of a body, really. It's an option rather than necessarily. Someone with potential without being someone who's ready to come in as a, a massive established star. Yeah, I do wonder if he's somebody who was on our radar for the summer because I think it's inevitable that uh, Flamini, Rosicki and Arteta are going to leave. So we've got to, you know, we've got to fill those gaps to a certain extent. And I do wonder if he was somebody that we had ear- earmarked for a summer signing, but given the circumstances, given the injuries, we've brought it forward. Um, yeah. it, it strikes me that it might be a little bit like that. And I think as well, uh, you're right to say that it's a signing that because our need is so pressing, that it's one that we can get done rather than chasing a target who might be a bit more difficult to get. And I think if you're talking about Arsenal going out and looking for a player in midfield uh, of the calibre of of Ozil or Alexis, that equivalent kind of a player, I just don't think that player is available in January. So I think that level of expectation can't be met in this particular transfer window and ultimately I think it's a positive if we're going to go out and bring in a player pretty much as soon as the window opens then I think that's a that's a positive thing because we really really need an extra body or two in, in midfield and I do wonder if this is the first of maybe one or two I think yeah because you know that if you're going to sign a player of that caliber in January the top 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 players they very occasionally do happen but when they do it's on deadline day because the selling clubs stretch it out in order to get the best fee that they possibly can and you know Arsenal don't want to be in a position where they're having to do without for another 5 weeks it's not something we can contemplate so mm. We've had to go out and get a deal done that may, means that we can bring someone in within the first few days of the window, could come straight into the squad, hopefully, and hit the ground running. Because, as you say, we are very, very short on bodies. I mean, you look at the substitutes bench against Bournemouth, uh, I think we're all pleased to see the Jeff on there. 
But the fact that he and Alex Awobi are both figuring in the 18 shows you that we are we are really light at the moment. And there's been bad injury news about the likes of Jack Wilshire and Danny Welbeck too. So yeah. I think that I think you're right. I'm not necessarily sure. You know, the club seems to be briefing that this might be the only bit of business they're doing. That's been reported here and there, but. It wouldn't surprise me if certainly their their eyes are still very much on the market to see if another opportunity does come up because we are light. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I think we've we've uh, hopefully, assuming this goes through, addressed a, a pressing need. And mm-hmm. then if there's something else that we can do during the transfer window, I think uh, I think we'll do it. Um, I mean, ultimately. We, we wait and see what the guy is like as a player before we make any judgment on him. You know, I think uh, at this point we we know better than to judge a player simply by his price tag or his profile. You know, mm-hmm. players develop at different times. They, uh, you know, we know we've seen someone like Lauren Koscielny, for example, who had one season in League 1, and then, you know, he uh, he's uh, blossomed into one of the finest central defenders in Europe. You know, there are plenty of examples of players like that who've come on and been given a chance at a big club. I mean, look at someone like Matic at Chelsea, for example, who was who was at Chelsea, sold, bought back after developing uh, at a smaller club in a smaller league. And, you, you know, that's just the way it works sometimes. So I'm happy to wait and see what he's like. Uh, I agree as well, just in terms of what you're saying about Wilshire and Welbeck, a little bit worrying on those two, particularly Wilshire, no? Yeah, particularly. Uh, I mean... It's difficult to be surprised, though, isn't it, about either of those two players, their absence being extended. I mean, it feels like they've just rolled on and on and on as a pair. Mm. And Wilshire, I think, worrying more sort of in the grander scheme of things. You know, when you begin to look at his injury record and the career that he's having, it's it's depressing, really. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, And you have to just hope against hope, really, that he can get over that because... He's he's heading he's heading Diaby Woods, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, it really is. Fingers crossed for him. Okay, well look, will that do for part one? Should we take I a little think break? So. Yeah. I feel like we've been I feel like we've been going, yeah. We have been. I mean we're probably gonna have to cut out, you know, the eight minutes where you were dealing with your cleaners and telephone and all that kind of stuff, which will bring it back down to a manageable level. But I thought know. that was a, the highlights of the of the pod so far. Well for me, certainly, but I'm just I'm thinking of the listeners here. You know? Okay, okay, fine. Okay. All right, we'll take a break. We're back right after this. Your 23 pairs of chromosomes, your DNA, have an incredible story to tell. It's a story about you and why you became who you are. 23andMe.com helps you understand what your DNA says about your health, traits, and ancestry, all from one small saliva sample you provide from home. You'll receive more than 60 detailed personalized reports about your DNA, plus tools to explore and compare your genetics with family and friends. Order your DNA kit from 23andMe.com today. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two, where we answer the questions sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. People have been asking lots of questions about Mesut Ozil, James. You surprise me. Mm. You surprise me. Mm. Um, I mean, look, it's understandable. We've all got questions. I've got a question about Mesut Ozil okay. to start. All right. Uh, this, actually, this is, I'm going to ask a question from me to you. Okay, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, hooray! Uh, it is a leap year next year, which I think on on the 29th of February, a podcast co-host can ask another podcast co-host to, uh, to marry them. It's like okay. a special thing. Well, we'll have so to mark that down in the diary. Look out for that. Yeah. Um, my question to you is, if Arsenal were going into a big game, let's call it the Champions League final, mm. and I told you, I told to you <laughs> that you could have one of... Meza Ozil or Alexis Sanchez available for that game, but only one. Who would you choose? Oh, wow, that's really difficult. Mm. Because Alexis has this big game ability, doesn't he? He has this uh, ability to get goals out of nothing when we're not playing particularly well. Mm. And, you know, you would have to assume that given the quality of the opposition that would get to a Champions League final, that could be a very useful uh, useful thing to have, but I, you know, maybe just at this moment in time, and of course my opinion could change given the way form fluctuates and all that kind of stuff. It'd be hard to look beyond Ozil because of just simply how creative he is and what he can, what he can bring to a team from set pieces, from open play. Um, you know, he can split a defense and maybe just on the day, one of our strikers might not have the touch of a, you know, a, a rabid donkey uh, and could score a goal or two. So at the moment, Ozil, what about you? 
I think it's really difficult, actually, because I think Ozil, he brings, you know, he's that sort of Pirazian oil in the engine. I wonder if you take him out of the team, does it affect the functionality of the whole eleven dramatically? But then Alexis, as you say, is that guy who can just get you a goal from absolutely nowhere. He's an individualist who can do it on his own. So I don't know that it was provoked by someone, I think, asked me on Twitter if we were a one-man team. And I thought, well, we're sort of very blessed now in that we've got two players who we could be accused of being a one-man team about. We're, I mean? we're a Siamese twins team. Yes, finally, at long last. Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know. I think my gut would maybe still plump for Alexis just because I still think that he might be more of a match winner. But Ozil mm. is certainly doing a lot to change my mind in that respect, especially mm. with performances like the one we saw against Bournemouth. Okay. Um, so that was my little question to you. All right. Well, I've but got one here that isn't from me, but it's from Paul. Lazy. Very lazy. It's from uh, at Erzin Spider. And he okay. wants to know, given uh, Ozil's assist masterclass, mm. is it imperative Wenger does something regarding the front three during the transfer window? Ooh, what he means in terms of adding to its quality so that all these these millions of chances don't go, you know, untaken. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's pretty much what he's saying. Yeah. Right. I think... I don't think it is imperative. If you look at the goals that Olivier Giroud is scoring, if you look at you know, Theo Walcott's ability to score goals. I think we've got forwards who are capable of scoring the necessary goals to get us to the top of the Premier League. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as to say it's imperative. Would it be nice? Certainly. And I do think there is an opportunity there, especially with Danny Welbeck's, you know, latest setback, seemingly an extended absence for him. I do think there is an opportunity there to go and bring someone in to supplement the attack. You know, Joel Campbell's been decent, but I, I struggle to believe there wouldn't be an upgrade available. Mm out there on the market mm. um, and, and I think you know yesterday when you look at the team we had and the bench we had there's not really a recognised centre forward on the bench because Theo Walcott is out on the wing Giroud's up top Campbell's the closest thing you've got I think among the substitutes mm. and for a side chasing the league that's not really ideal that's not really good enough so I don't think it's imperative but I think if something comes up, they should definitely take the chance. What, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I said this on the, the podcast a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? I think that mm. if if there was somebody available as a wide forward they could bring in, I think they'd be they'd be quite open they'd be quite open to doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be great to have somebody a little more clinical um, who could put away a few more of those chances. So yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see what comes up. Um, what comes up in the January transfer window? As an aside, Pius Ag- Agye Twum, who's at Randy De Gunner, yeah, he wanted to know: Was that the best Ozil performance you've seen for Arsenal? For me, it is. I had five or six orgasms in the course of the game. Wow, lucky man. <laughs> um, I, I, um, I think it is actually. How many orgasms it- did you have? This is what I'm, I don't care what you think about it before. How many? Sorry, orgasms? sorry, that's the question. Yeah, um, I just had one big one at the end, <laughs> <laughs> and I was happy with that. I was delighted with that outcome. Yeah, none of, none of your colleagues in the press box were, but hey. No, I know, I know, but you know what can you do? Um, I was Invert sat next to Martin pyramid, Samuel. Wilson. I got overexcited. <laughs> um, but uh, it was yeah, it was a really. I think that was his best performance. I mean, it's difficult because. You know, do you have to factor in the quality of the position? Bournemouth aren't the best team we've played in in the course of Ozil's time with Arsenal. Uh, they're not bad by any stretch, but they're certainly no Bayern Munich. Mm. But uh, as an exhibition, let's say of you know just to sit back and watch and enjoy, I don't think I've seen better from him. No. Yeah. What about you? Uh, no, certainly up there with his with his best performances. And I think in the context of the game and how quickly it came after the Southampton game, I think that. That just adds a layer of quality to to what he did for me. It was brilliant. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Okay, another another Mezzo question, because you can't have too many, as Arsene Wenger found out in his press conference. This is from Ankit. Oh, no, it's not. I lied. It's from... Uh, sorry, Ankit. We'll get to you, maybe. Uh, it's from Davy JG, at Davy JG. And he asks, what is the meaning of Ozil's celebration, the thumb-sucking, three fingers pointing down action? Well... Uh, is it is it an M? Well, that's what I think. Is it? I mean, I don't know. I guess the thumb sucking is for some kind of um, baby friend of his. Yeah, 
Yeah, one of his kindergarten friends. I don't know, like a relative. Somebody said it was his niece or something. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Does Which, he not have kids? We don't know. Or I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I try not to concern myself with the personal lives of footballers and, and everything else because I just don't care. Sure. Um, but I would imagine that the three fingers is an M, right? Yeah, that's my... I'm doing it now. I mean, yeah, I know me this too. is a podcast, like, guys. Uh, Everyone do it at home. Just put three fingers down. Which one does it's, he put... Which one does he... Is it his middle finger that he brings up? No, I think he holds his little finger in with his thumb, doesn't he? Does he? So it looks like a sort of little alien claw. Oh, Maybe that's what it is. It looks... Actually, if you do it, it kind of looks a little bit like an elephant. If you just do it and, you know, hold your fingers straight down and then... Move your hand slightly up. It begins to look slightly oh, like, the like tusks an elephant with a, with a trunk. Yeah, so maybe he likes elephants. He loves elephants. That's of course what he it does. Is. And then the sucking the thumb. I don't know. Maybe he just sucks his thumb. Yeah, it's a it's a difficult habit to break. Apparently, it can really damage your teeth, though. It's re- it's just a real comfort for him. You know, there's sixty thousand people looking at him. He might get shy, so he sucks his thumb to. He doesn't like the noise of the crowd. It yeah. makes him nervous. <laughs> so he pops his thumb in his mouth and thinks of his beloved elephants yeah. to bring himself a bit of comfort. That's why he doesn't like scoring goals. He's scared of the reaction mm. when it does happen. He regresses into this behaviour. Yep. So that's it. Mesut Ozil loves elephants. That's and- the celebration. Exactly. All right, here's a question from Martin F. at MR Frika, and he wants to know, if you could only sign one player in January and it had to be from another Premier League club, who would it be? And I'm going to write mine down. I'm going to write it down here, and there it is. Uh, There it is. I've written it down, and I want to see if yours is the same, because I think it might be. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I know who my I know what my I know what my heart says, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I, I can see into says. your heart, then we've been doing this podcast too long. But go on, okay. let's let's tell us. Okay, well, it's it's a stupid one, really. It's a luxury one. It's one that doesn't seem to make that much sense at first glance. But mine would be Riyad Mahrez. <gasps> okay, phew, I can't see into your heart. Okay, what have you got? I've got Lukaku. Oh, I would love him. Yeah. I would love him. Oh, I tell you what, I think you can see into my heart. I think I'm not honest with myself, and you actually know me better than I know myself. Because <laughs> I was tweeting at him the other day. I was on and banging on about Lukaku, saying he's worth you know forty to fifty million quid of anyone's money. I do think that. Yeah, I think he is phenomenal. You know he's what? He's just I... got so much power. Yeah. You know, I, one of the problems, right, that we faced in the summer was the fact that there aren't any world-class strikers available to us. And mm. the one that was there, uh, Benzema, Arsene Wenger was looking at him going, you know, is 50 million worth, is it really worth it for a guy who might be better than Giroud, but maybe not by that much? You know, it's a mm. huge amount of money to spend on a player who doesn't necessarily bring you to another level the same way that Ozil did or that uh, Alexis did, right? So what's our next best option? I think we've spoken about this before, is to find a a striker, find a player at the right age that that we can then mould or who can develop into a world-class striker. And, you know, every time I look at him, he looks to me like a player who could fulfil that, who's got the potential to to be that kind of player. And Giroud is, what, 29 now? Yeah. coming up on 30, you know, which is not over the hill by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Um, so, Lukaku, but, 22. He's 22, and his goal-scoring record is phenomenal for for a guy of 22. I, I think know. it's, um, if you, if you uh, follow Daniel Story, who writes for Football 365 on Twitter, he has hmm. great stats about him and how, you know, by, by his age, the only players who had scored the amount of goals that, that he scored in top flight football are Messi and Ronaldo and, and somebody else. Pelé, so, yeah. Maradona. Yeah. yeah, exactly. His goal scoring record is phenomenal. And at 22, he's still got room for improvement undoubtedly yeah. but this season it looks to me like he's taken a, a, a real step forward I read something about him uh, during the week he said during the he was aware that his first touch wasn't great so he spent most of his summer just 
playing football up against a wall, whacking the ball and improving his first touch and, and everything else. Uh, I watched the Everton-Stoke game yesterday. He was really good. The goals he scored were fantastic, even if Everton ended up on the wrong side. So, yeah, I'd love, I'd love Lukaku. I think he's great. I think he gets a bit of a rough time sometimes. People have criticised his first touch and some elements of his technical game, but they have really kicked on. And also, the sheer pace and power means that he just generates so many chances. Mm. This season, he's 19 appearances in the Premier League, 15 goals. And he's not playing in a particularly brilliant Everton side. It's not like they're running away with the league or anything like it. Um, yeah, he's got, he's got Gareth Barry and Tom Cleverley providing him with, with passes. Imagine, <laughs> imagine what Mesut Ozil could give him. I mean, I have to say, Everton have got some really exciting young players all the way through their team. John Stones, mm. great centre-half, Ross Barkley and Gerard Delefeu, you know, very good young creative midfielders. Yeah, but he's got a face of, he's just a bit too ratty, his face, Delefeu. Uh, he is, yeah. And he's a horrible diver as well, but mm. very talented. And then Lukaku up top, they've got a great uh, promising spine to work with. And I just think, yeah, I think you're right. He's a player who is exploding and I think that he would be a phenomenal asset. And let's not forget how funny it would be to get hold of him having seen Chelsea let him go a few mm. years ago. Mm. I mean, you'd have to pay a premium price for him because you're getting him from another Premier League club. But Well, they paid close to £30 million, pounds, Everton. You know? So what, you're adding £20 million pounds at least onto I that? I think so, yeah. But, you I know, think I think so. probably... Um, you, the, what would work to our advantage in that is that we would be a very, very attractive proposition for him. You mm. know, it would be another step forward in, in his career. Uh, with no disrespect to Everton, um, you know, Arsenal have, have greater ambitions and greater potential. So I think, well, you know, if it was there, if it was there to be done, I'd like that. Well, I would I would put good money on Lukaku leaving Everton this summer simply because he changed agent uh, not too long ago. Uh, he signed with I think it's Mino Raola, who represents Mario Balotelli and a few others, and he's you know known to be quite aggressive when it comes to moving his players on. So I think yeah. that's that's in the offing to be honest with you. And I'd I'd love to see Arsenal in the mix. Now I don't whether or not it would ever happen or whether in January or whether or not he's a player Arsene Wenger even likes. I don't know. How, but when I look, yeah. Go. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, how could he not like him? I, I mean, when you look at what he can do, look at his size, look at his pace, look at his power, look at his finishing. To me, it just he screams the kind of player that Wenger can can polish into a world class striker. He's done it mm. before. You know, he could easily do it again with Lukaku. I don't know how he could look at him and not go, oh yeah, let's have some of that. <laughs> Give me some of that, Lukaku. I love that. I would absolutely love it. But listen. If we can't do that, I, I also think Riyad Mahrez would be a great addition. <laughs> um, although it, le- it excites me less. I'd have less orgasms watching Riyad Mahrez than I would watching Romelu Lukaku. Your colleagues in the press box will be glad of that. Yes, I'm sure. I'm okay. sure. Um, oh, I enjoyed that question. I could have I, I could have talked about that all day. Okay, we'll get, a, get another question going. This is from Andrew Jones at Drew Flaps. And he says, with Debussy... <laughs> yeah, I know, Drew Flaps. We'll let that go. With Debussy, how did he get that nickname? With Debussy itching to leave and Wenger seeing Chambers as a DM now, which I don't know, I guess there's some debate about that, do we prioritise a new right-back in January? No, we don't prioritise a new right-back in January and I still think even if Chambers is playing midfield at the moment, I, I feel like he's his versatility might be the way that he gets more games for us. So... If Debushi is to go in January, then it may well be a case that the manager views Chambers as uh, a potential uh, replacement at right back or, or backup for right back, which will give him more minutes. Because if we do make more signings in midfield, and if, you know, when Coquelin comes back, you'd have to think that Chambers' chances in there are going to be quite limited, even if he does do, even if he does do well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we could be looking at Chambers still as a potential right back. Uh, for the duration of this season anyway. Um, what's interesting, and I, I heard this from a, a good place, is that Debushi was supposed to start yesterday. Ah. And very late on, the decision was made to go with Bellerin instead. So I don't know what we can read into that, whether there is anything to read into that, but you know his absence from the, from the first team squad was noticeable in the last two games. He wasn't in the squad for Man City and he wasn't in the squad at Southampton. Uh, he was back in the squad yesterday against Bournemouth. He was supposed to start. He didn't start. Maybe something's going on there behind the scenes. 
Um, Maybe so, that does suggest something might have been, mm, if not agreed, then sort of, you know, plonked on Arsene Wenger's desk yeah. to think about. Uh, it, it does feel like he's on the way out. It'll probably be a, a loan deal, I would imagine, until the summer and then reassess the situation. Mm. But it's an area that's interesting because, you know, everyone was, I think, kind of anticipating that Carl Jenkinson might come back and contend for a place there. But we spoke a couple of weeks ago, he's having a difficult time at West Ham. So, yeah, maybe there is room for an addition there. But I, I don't see that necessarily happening in January because once El Nenny comes in, Chambers will be freed up to fill in a right back yep. when required. Yeah, I think that's the way it'll go, to be honest. Um, what, thoughts on Debushi? What, what do we do? Um, is this a guy who's prioritising his international career over his club career? It is, yeah, it is. But then I think... I don't know. I mean, he, he's clearly quite unsettled. You know, in in the last few years, we haven't had too many players at Arsenal be quite as vocal as he has about his position in the squad. And you do wonder after a while, is that is that healthy? Is that a positive thing? Maybe perhaps, you know, if it's a situation where he's supposed to play games and then he's not, I kind of feel like maybe the relationship's already broken to an extent and Arsene Wenger yeah. feels that the, the best thing to do is to kind of clean it up and, and move on. It is a shame because... It's, it's pure misfortune, really. I mm. mean, Hector Bellerin got his chance because Debussy suffered some really unlucky injuries. I think had those not happened, he'd probably still be in the side. It's not like he ever performed particularly badly in that first season. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like, yeah, it's, it's just not worked out for him. And we know Arsene's got form for letting players move on when they want to. And I think he'll do the same with Debussy this January. Okay. Right. Um, I've got a, a, a two questions, right? One Go is on. a very quick one. It comes from... Abinav Ramnarian, mm. who's at Abinav VR. Okay. And of course, we played uh, Bournemouth last night that a player called Mark Pugh. And he says, is it possible to say Mark Pugh's name without going pew, pew, pew in your head, Star Wars style? Um, well, let's give it a whirl, shall I? Yeah. Um, Mark Pugh. No, it's not possible. As soon as I said <laughs> it, I was trans- I was on Tatooine <laughs> straight away. <laughs> It's, it's just exactly that. Yeah. I was deflecting shots away with a lightsaber, which frankly I'd like to see Peter Cech attempt sometime <laughs> soon. Now that he's got the clean sheet record, let's have a go at that. All right. Uh, my second question then comes from, here it is, actually, bizarrely, the Jedi Gunner. Wow. Come on, that's not coincidence. That's the force at work. Sure, that must be it. I can feel the force flowing through me. Or I haven't uh, been in the bathroom yet. But anyway, uh, he wants to know, what has been your Arsenal highlight of the 2015 calendar year and why? I mean, winning the FA Cup, undoubtedly, Mm. because it's the FA Cup and we won it. Yep. And we won it in serious style as well. It wasn't the, you know, after the agony of the previous final against Hull, this was a real showcase and it was a fantastic performance, fantastic win. Probably the Alexis Sanchez goal at Wembley in the FA Cup final was my highlight of the year. All right. I've just noticed that he actually said, what has been your Arsenal BPL highlight? Oh, so here I'm we guessing... go. Moving the goalposts. Yeah. Um, well, that's that one out the window. Mm, let me have a think about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm tempted by... Do you know what? I'm tempted to go right back to January and the win at the Etihad because it felt like it was such a long time coming to get a result like that away from home against Mm. a big team. And we did it so well, so comprehensively. And it was kind of the birth of a new Arsenal team. That's how it felt to me, that Cazorla Cochlear engine room that seemed so unlikely just a matter of months before that. You know, Cazorla was absolutely brilliant that day and really established himself in that role. And I just thought there was a, a newfound solidity and strength about that side, that if we do go on to be serious title contenders this year... Uh, I feel like it's it stems back to that, really. I feel like that was a real turning point for this team. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. That's what a about good yourself? One. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard to look beyond that one. And also, I really enjoyed the 4-1 game against Liverpool. Um, oh, yeah. The way we dismantled them that day, I thought that was uh, that was a, a sensational performance. Uh, so, yeah, that was a good one. Obviously, the Manchester United game. Against United? Yeah, 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 yeah. Superb. So, yeah, 
there have been some good days. We've had, I mean, look, uh, it's been worked out, of course, that if if there were a trophy for the calendar year, we would be the team holding that trophy aloft now, having the open top bus parade going, calendar year champions, yay! But there isn't. So um, we've had a good 2015 all in all in terms of the Premier League. Some disappointing results, um, but for the most part, we've we've, uh, performed very admirably in the BPL. Mm, yeah, very well so. Very well so. Very I mean, well so I, indeed, yes. Uh, this dictionary I've read out hasn't had much effect on me. I'm talking absolute nonsense at times. OK, this is a hypothetical, and I know how you've got mixed feelings about those, but mm-hmm. I do think it's an interesting one. Kieran Evans, at Kieran Evans 46 says, if you had the final say, imagine that world, would you end, <laughs> uh, would you end Arsene's contract a year early if it would guarantee Pep Guardiola as Arsenal's next manager? Oh. <sighs> Because there have been a couple of stories in Build about, you know, Arsenal making a little bit of contact with Guardiola. I have to say, I'm not sure how much credence I I give that. None. Absolutely none. He's going to Manchester City. It's nailed on 100%. (laughs) There's no question about it. It's nailed on. However. However, we're talking hypothetical. Mm. Look, I think if a a manager like Guardiola became available, I think you've got to go for him. Um, Yeah. I mean, the worry is, of course, Arsene Wenger's got one more year left on his contract and it's who is going to be available to take over at that point, assuming that Arsene Wenger calls it a day at that point. Well, I still think, I still, I'm still in there. There's another contract in it, Camp. I think he'll mm. sign a new contract still. Um, but, you know, if, if push came to shove, I mean, it's like, it's like somebody says to you, you've got, you've got I don't know, uh, let's say you've got Theo Walcott doing very well, scores you... 15, 20 goals a season, but do you get rid of him to bring in Lionel Messi? Maybe, yeah. You know, maybe. Maybe. You know, maybe. So it's it's one of those, uh, as a hypothetical, yes, of course, in reality, it's not going to happen because Guardiola's going to Manchester City. That is true. That is true. Um, but I, yeah, it'd be not, do you know what, in a way, Arsene Wenger wins the league, calls it a day, goes out on a high, Pep Guardiola's unveiled the next day. That wouldn't be a bad week, would it? No, it wouldn't be a bad week at all. Um, but it's not going to happen. It won't happen. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Any more from you? Uh, any more from me? I think I have got one here. Okay. Uh, I did have one interesting one here. Hang on. I'm just going to, going to try and find it. Bum, 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 bum. I can't find it. Where the hell has it gone? I've got one if you want. Um, yes. Okay. Let's do it till I find this one. Okay, John Strobel at Gunner Runner IU. He asks, my friend got me the third kit jersey for Christmas. What should I do? Break all ties with that friend. Mm-hmm. Um, Kill your friend? No, 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 no. Come on. I went, too, I went too hard. I went too realistic. hard, guys. But I would, if, if I could, uh, you know, hack his Facebook account and uh, post some particularly nasty stuff that may well impact his job, uh, his life. Right. Uh, his family life could end his marriage, see him never, ever see his children again. You know, something small like that, because I think that's that's a proportionate response to to that kind of, um, well, I mean, what would you say? That's an act it's of aggression. behavior, really. Yes, it's an act of war, essentially, buying somebody that third kit. So, yeah, what I would do is, is, is uh, expand as much energy as possible into ruining this man's life mm. without causing him any physical harm. I mean, if he wanted... Uh, in the end to throw himself off a, a tall building because everything has gone to shit. That's his prerogative. Exactly. That's down to him and he'll stand there and he'll be looking down below at the street going, how on earth did I get to this point in my life? Everything was going so well. Oh, yes. Now I remember. I bought that guy the third kit for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that, 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 that would be my thinking on it. I think that seems eminently sensible. Hmm. Did you oh, find your question? I did, yeah. It comes from East Stand at East Stand 14. He mm. wants to know, if you could re-sign one of the following players in their peak this January, who would it be? You have three options. Oh, I okay. like it. Stepanovs. Stepanovs. The, the, the hoovering has started. I like yep. it. I'm not going to stop her because, you know, we're close to the end now, guys. We are. We are. So, look, uh, the three players were Edu, Silvino, yep. or Eduardo. Oh, what a lovely little selection. I wonder what on earth has made him pick that little trio. Maybe he's Brazilian. Maybe he is. Edu, Silvino, Eduardo. Mm. I don't think we need Silvino right now. No. I think we've got a terrific left back in Nacho Monreal and decent backup in Kieran Gibbs. 
Eduardo could certainly have a place. Edu, I mean, central midfield, we're very light, aren't we? And he, you know, at his best, mm. was a very, very good, very effective player. Excellent passer, could tackle as well. I think I'd go for Edu, you know. Ooh. I think I'd go for Edu. I just think, I don't know what El Nenny's like. So Edu's a known quantity right. to shore up that midfield. But <sighs> you're going to go for Eduardo, aren't you? I am. I am. I'm going forward crazy today. Box I, in the box. Yeah. You want Eduardo and, and Lukaku up front. Yeah, I just think that, uh, for example, if Eduardo had been presented with some of the chances that uh, Ozil created last night, then, you know, he, he would have put at least two of them away. At least. Bear in mind, this is peak Eduardo. This is pre-injury Eduardo. Yeah, exactly. That that brilliant spell he had where he'd, he'd sort of adapted to the English game. There was a, a great game at uh, at Everton, actually, if I remember. He played really well that night himself and could have been Bentner. Himself and Bentner playing up front. But anyway... Eduardo scored twice, I believe. Yeah, he had a great game that night and he was really, you know, blossoming into a fantastic forward, a fantastic finisher. So yeah, that Eduardo with those uh, Ozil passes, bring it on. Yeah, so do you know what? I'm ditching Edu. I'm going Eduardo as well. I'm going to assume that Mohamed Elneny is the new Patrick Vieira and we have no more midfield requirements. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Eduardo. Let's All go right. for goals. Come on. All right, is, is that it or do you have one more or are we done? I'd have nothing else to give. You've got nothing. Okay. I'm 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 spent like like that man at the end of the match yesterday after six <laughs> orgasms. Uh, yeah, there's an image. It really is. Yeah. And of course, we know that you record in your underpants. Uh, so your cleaner is in for one hell of a surprise when she gets I mean, to your area of the house. <laughs> absolutely. When she walks in, what a scene will we'll, we'll befall in front of her. Befall, behold. Blah, 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 blah. Guys, we need to read this dictionary and read this thesaurus. Yes. Figure out what's going really. on. If we want to have a podcast, I need to know what words are. Yeah. And how to use them. Ideally, in the correct order. Yes. Um, when do we play next? We play Newcastle. Saturday in Newcastle. Saturday, yes. Newcastle. Um, all right. So I imagine we'll be back. Back to Mondays. Back to Mondays. Back to January Mondays. January 4th. Absolutely. 2016, the future. We will talk to you next year and we'll talk to you on what will be episode 100 of the Arscast Extra. Boom. Imagine. Imagine, imagine it. That. It's, like it's the, going to be special. The future is now. Except it's also the future. A hundred... How many minutes have we done of this? Imagine it. Well, 60... What percentage of our lives? Yeah, generally between... I would say they average out about 50 minutes. Right. So that's 150s. 5,000 million. I could never do that. It's five gazillion. (laughs) Five gazillion minutes. Five gazillion minutes. Oh, God. Well, uh, I guess uh, I would like to wish everybody a very happy new year. We'll talk to you next year. Uh, Have a great one. Thank you for being here with us throughout 2015. Thank you for listening. And, uh, of course, if you want to leave a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be great, James. I don't know if you noticed, but a couple of times we've hit the top 10 on iTunes. So if people rate and review and download through iTunes and subscribe through iTunes, we we could get way up there. We could get to, like, seven or six even. That would be brilliant. We're pushing for the top four, guys. You know that's where we belong. <laughs> We're going to snatch fourth. I know it. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed. We'll catch you on the next Arscast Extra. Until then, cheers. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.